Hey, good morning, everybody. We're doing a series right now called Stuck, but before we get into it, I got to ask, is anybody going for the Panthers today? Anybody? Okay. All right, got one or two. Any Broncos fans in the room? Who just doesn't care about the football at all? You're standing for the commercials. Anybody? Okay. All right. And I love the 11:30 crowd because you guys are just wild and crazy. It's awesome. I love it. If I was to ask that question, the first two it's just dead as doornails. You know, it's like, no, they're awesome too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so five years ago, I learned the hard way that sandy beaches and minivans don't really mix too well. And uh, it happened down in Ocean Shores. I was down there having on, on a mini vacation with my fam. And if you've never been to Ocean Shores before, it's this beautiful place, kind of a touristy little resort town, situated right along the, the open ocean kind of thing. And one of the cool things about Ocean Shores is that it's got these really long, wide beaches. And not only are they long and wide, but the, the sand is, is really, it's hard packed enough that they actually let vehicles drive on it. And so um, the first time we did this, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, you got your minivan and you're pulling onto a sandy beach, but pretty soon, there we were, kind of cruising down the beach and trusting that the city officials kind of knew what they were doing by letting people drive on it and just having a, a jolly old time, you know, driving along, seagulls kind of flying alongside of us. It was actually very cool. Well, before long, the wide beach started to kind of get narrower and narrower and there, signs started to pop up on the side of the beach saying, just kind of warning against going any further, but I'm like, yeah. The beach is still plenty wide. I got this. No problem. Becky starts to kind of encourage me to turn around. <laughs> but I'm like, no, let's just keep going. There might be like a beautiful little cove down there that we'd miss out on if we were to turn around. So we keep driving, and you know where this is going. Eventually, we've got to turn around because it gets too narrow. And as we turn around, the front wheels just sink down in the sand, and we're completely stuck. Now, if you've got kids, a beach is actually a pretty good place if you're going to get stuck. Get stuck on a beach because there's lots for them to do while you're trying to figure out how to get unstuck. But on the other hand, a beach is a terrible place to get stuck because throughout the day, there's these little events that happen on a beach called tides. Google Ocean Shores towing sometime and you will see picture after picture after picture of vehicles that are stuck in three to four feet of water. Waves crashing over top of the, the, the ceilings of these vehicles. Well, Becky again is strongly encouraging me to call a tow truck right away, but I don't. I think, okay, there's no way I'm going to call a tow truck. I'm not going to have some guys come out here and me be all humiliated that they see me stuck. I'm not going to pay the, the, the tow truck fee. I'm just not into that. I'll just work harder and faster. Well, eventually the tide's getting so close that I got to call a tow truck, so I call Ocean Shores Towing. They come out, they tow me, tow me out, and, and if you ever got to call these guys, it's just basically a couple of rednecks, big old Ford truck, and a tow truck. They come out, $150 later, I'm out of our little spot there. And I, I asked these guys, I, I said, so how many times have you guys got to do this throughout the day? And they, they said five to six times a day during the slow season. Do the math on that, okay? I quickly figured out what my nice little side job is going to be in retirement as I'm sitting on a beach. Those guys, they make, it's six figures. It's crazy. But, but being stuck is one thing. Being stuck with others, particularly your spouse, 
is no fun at all. I've been stuck in a vehicle with Becky more times than I, can, I, can, I care to count. We've actually, we're not going to get into it this morning, but our worst stuck experience was we got stuck in the middle of nowhere, way out in the woods when she was nine months pregnant, about to burst any moment. That was scary. That was scary. But we've been stuck a few times, um, not only in vehicles, but also stuck in our relationship lots. And this morning, I'm going to be primarily talking to married couples in the room, but if you're here and you're not married, this is not necessarily a zone-out sermon for you. Um, you've got friends, you've got family that maybe this morning uh, you can use this to encourage them, or maybe one day down the road you're going to be married. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're single and you're going, okay, if I could just get married, that'll take care of all my problems, <laughs> you're going to find out this morning that marriage does not take care of your problems. What marriage will actually do is grab a big, giant spotlight and shine it on your problems and accentuate your problems. That's how it works with marriage. But uh, primarily talking to, to married people, if you're here, you got kids in the room, I'm not going to say anything I wouldn't want my 11-year-old hearing, but I am going to be kind of crossing over into PG territory a couple times this morning. You ready to go? All right, here we go. <laughs> a marriage that's stuck has lost momentum and is no longer thriving or growing. It's not thriving or growing. It's stuck in a rut. Maybe at one time you had a picture of a marriage and you thought, okay, this is where I see it going. As we grow old together, we're going to become more in love with each other. We're going to get to know one, each other, one another more. We're, we're just going to be growing together down the road. It's just going to be, uh, it, it's, it's just going to be a companionship that's getting richer and richer and deeper and deeper. But now you look at it and you go, okay, it's not like that at all. And, and I can't even get there because we're stuck so bad in this rut that we're in. Rather than enjoying being together, you, you almost dread being together because you just know that it's going to eventually end in fighting and bickering. Rather than a closeness, it's just becoming more distance. And, and you're stuck. You're in a rut. There's a number of marriage ruts that couples can find themselves in. There's the, the contrast and compare rut. You're going, if only my husband was as good-looking as Brad Pitt. If, if only my husband was as charming as George Clooney. If only he was funny like Will Smith and brooding like a Harrison Ford. If only. It's, it's this contrast and compare right. And there's probably some guys in the room going, man, that, that about describes me right there. Come to think about it. But contrast and comparing, that's just, it's a rut. It's a rut. There's the positional rut. I had someone tell me that Archie Bunker is a good example of being in a positional rut. Now, Archie Bunker is before my time, and so I had to, actually had to go on YouTube and, and check out some Archie Bunker All in the Family episodes. And uh, <laughs> not a pretty sight. There's this one episode, she's out. So Archie Bunker, he kind of sees himself as the, he's the king of the castle. And Edith Bunker is just his loyal subject, just doing whatever he wants her to do. So this one episode... He comes home from work, and she's not home. Dinner's not on the table. So he's kind of like scratching his head, and he plunks down on his chair. She comes scampering in the house and uh, doesn't notice that he's there. He, she starts going around trying to get the dinner ready as fast as she possibly can. Then eventually she notices that he's sitting there on the couch, and she comes up to him all apologetic. And she goes off talk, talking about how she's been out helping the homeless all day, and she's just been out bringing cheer to the cheerless. To which he says, well, how about a beer for the beerless? And then she goes scampering off to get him a beer and comes in and opens it for him. That's, 
their situation. He demeans her. He disrespects her. He's rude to her. He walks all over her, and she just lets it happen. After all, he's the man of the house. If you find your marriage even close to that, you might be in a positional rut. There's also the shallow communication rut. If you were to take finances, kids, we're skipping ahead here. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, but if you, if you take marriage and kids and schedules out of your, your conversation, there's nothing to talk about. It's a rut. There's the autopilot rut. Somewhere back in the day, it could have been six months ago, it could have been 20 years ago, one of you or both of you hit the autopilot button on your marriage, and, and now you're just cruising along, bored out of your tree. It's just the same old, same old. Romance, adventure, those are words that you've completely forgot about what they even mean. It's just autopilot, cruising along. And then there's the sexual rut. Maybe it's a rut where, where um, and that you rarely have sex. It's, it's crazy, the statistics out there. The majority of marriages, it's about just over one time a week, which is about 56 to 58 times a year. 15% of marriages haven't had sex in the last six months to a year. That's a rut when you consider how beautiful and awesome sex is. Maybe for you the rut isn't necessarily to do with the frequency of sex. Maybe it's, for you it's, it's more what actually goes on in the bedroom. It's just autopilot. Same old, same old, nothing new, nothing creative. And, and this can be a rut for both or it could just be a rut for one person. Maybe the guy's going, okay, our sex life is awesome. And she's thinking in her head, no, it's a rut. Lasts about 60 seconds, which is enough time for me to plan how my day's going to go tomorrow, and that's about it. It's a rut. It's a rut. There's a shallow communication rut. And, and then lastly, and I hope nobody here in this room is in this rut, but if statistics are true, there's a good chance that there might be some. The abusive rut. It could be physical. It could be verbal. If you find yourself here, I hope you recognize today or you hear today that this is not God's plan for your marriage. No matter what the other person might be saying, it is not God's plan for your marriage. And I also hope that you've got a safe place, a safe person that you can go to. The scripture, it's, it's got a lot to say about getting out of marriage ruts, but none is um, perhaps as important or controversial as the passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading this morning. And I'm going to warn you right off the bat, we are going into some very touchy, delicate material this morning. And the passage, passage of Scripture that we're going to read is found in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says this. It says, Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Or for the sake of our series, we could say, wake up, sleeper, get unstuck, and Christ will shine on you. And then the passage goes on to say a little bit later in the same chapter, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Archie Bunker types like to stop, uh, or not, they they ignore this verse, and they skip right on to the next several verses that we're going to read. But you've got to get the context. Scripture says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then it goes on to say, wives, submit yourselves to your, your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I told you it was going to be touchy this morning. This passage of scripture is perhaps the most controversial, misunderstood, abused, taken out of context passage of scripture, maybe in the entire Bible. And as a result, what happens in a lot of churches, a lot of guys will just kind of avoid, a lot of pastors will avoid that stuff altogether because it, it's so touchy, it's, uh, it, and, and they just don't even go there. Or they, they talk about it, but they leave big chunks of it out, leave all the potentially offensive parts out of it. But, but what the church does in the process is does a huge disservice to, to marriages. And as a result... A lot of marriages are stuck because this passage contains some key pieces that will help a stuck marriage get unstuck, as we're going to look at this morning. Paul begins by talking about bringing what's in the dark into the light. He says everything that's exposed by the light becomes visible. It's illuminated as Christ shines on it. Now, one thing about, about non-vehicle ruts you know, if you're in a vehicle, if you get in a rut, it's pretty obvious that you're in a rut. People drive by and they see that you're in a rut. But when you get in a rut in life, a relationship rut, in particular a marriage rut, a lot of times, probably even most of the time, these ruts are kind of kept in the dark. They're kept secret. Nobody knows about them. They're never acknowledged, never spoken about. They're just kept kind of behind the scenes. Maybe he's become a workaholic, and it's just sucking the life right out of her, but she doesn't want to say anything because she doesn't know how he's going to respond. Or maybe he's going, okay, it feels like we're just on autopilot. It feels like uh, sh- communication is just shallow. It's, it's not, the depth is not there that I'd love to see, but he doesn't want to bring it up because he doesn't want to hurt her, and so he just ignores it, and the rut just stays in the dark. And Whatever the rut, a lot of times getting out of it will begin by simply having a conversation. Having a conversation. It might go something like this. Dear, you know, maybe tonight when the kids are in bed, do you think we could just maybe get some time to, to, to talk with each other? And then when the kids are all in bed, it's, hey, honey, I feel like we are in some ruts here in our marriage. Have the conversation. Now, when you have the conversation, two things are really important, timing and tone. Having that conversation at the dinner table with your five and your seven and your 10-year-old sitting there listening in on the conversation, probably not the best time. Having the conversation in the heat of a full-blown argument, the tone is probably going to be just a little bit off. Timing and tone are so important. But when you have the conversation, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're taking that rut that's all exposed, that's all hidden, and you're bringing it into the light. And when you do that, you put it in a place for God to shine his light on it and begin to bring healing, begin to bring restoration, begin to pull you out of that rut. Now, I will add that if you find yourself in an abusive rut, depending on your situation, your spouse might not be the person you need to be talking to. You might need to be calling up a domestic violence organization and saying, hey, I need some help. I don't know what to do here. 
But no matter what the rut is, begin by having a conversation with someone. Let someone, most of the time it will be your spouse, let someone know what's going on in here. Don't keep it hidden. Begin by having a, a conversation. And then scripture says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A husband needs to submit to his wife. And a wife needs to submit to her husband. This marriage deal is a team thing. It's, it's both equally valuable, um, equally important, both deserving of equal love and respect. No one's inferior to the other in this deal. It's not that someone is up here while the other is down here. It's, it's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But then that raises the question, well, Rich, what about all the verses that follow that? What about the verses that talk about a, a man being the head of, of his home and a, and a wife submitting to her husband? Doesn't that mean that I'm in charge and I get to tell her to do what, whatever I want her to? No. No. No, that's not, that's not what it means. Several things that you need to know just in order to understand what God is saying in these verses. Um, if you're taking notes, these aren't in your sermon notes, but you might want to write these down. Several things to know. First of all is this. For an organization to have direction, unity, and order, it needs to have a leader. doesn't matter if we're talking about Starbucks. doesn't matter if we're talking about the Denver Broncos doesn't matter if we're talking about your, your kid's fifth grade class. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the church. It doesn't matter if we're talking about your workplace. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the, the high school band. In order for an organization, including a marriage and family, to have direction, unity, and order, it needs to have a leader. Without good leadership, there's confusion and there's apathy. Or we could put it like this. Without good leadership, without leadership, or, or even with poor leadership, the organization, the marriage, will eventually get stuck. It will get stuck. And many marriages are stuck because of this right here that we're talking about this morning. Nobody knows who the leader is. Maybe you went into this thing just kind of like not really knowing what you're doing, and it just you're trying to figure out just this, this constant fight and butting heads and push and pull and there's just this disunity this and posturing and positioning and all this kind of stuff. And as a result, there's disunity, there's not harmony, because nobody knows who's, who the leader is. And Scripture, when it comes to marriage, God, He makes it very clear on who's supposed to be the leader in the home. We just read it. The husband is the head or the leader of the home. It doesn't say the wife is the leader of the home. It doesn't say the kids are the leader of the home. And it's surprising how many homes the kids are the leader of the home. But we don't have time to get into that this morning. That's a whole different topic. Um, we're going to stick to the topic this morning. God's design for the home and marriage is that the husband would be the leader. And husbands and wives, listen to me, this is a good thing when you understand God's idea of what leadership looks like. If you don't get what God's talking about when he talks about leadership, You'll see this as being a bad thing. You see, typically when we think of leadership, we immediately think of two words, power and authority. We go to, okay, we think uh, commander-in-chief, the sergeant, the boss, the one who's in charge. We think 
we think power and authority, but in Scripture, the emphasis of leadership is not on power and authority, but on responsibility and accountability, which is different. And so what that means for, for, for Rich Warner as the head of my home, as the leader in my home, is that at the end of the day, I'm the one who's responsible for the spiritual condition of my home. I'm responsible. Now, is Becky responsible? Yes, of course she is. She carries a ton of responsibility. But the ultimate responsibility rests right here on Rich's shoulders. And it's, it's a, it is a weighty responsibility which should drive me to my knees continually in prayer. But God's design is, is that a husband would be the head or the leader and that, that um, his wife and children would submit to his leadership. Now, here's where we get in a ton of trouble. It's with that word submit. Because it's not a very, I mean, that whole word is just, if, if you're normal, it just kind of makes you, yeah. And, and some have taught that this means mindless obedience to the husband's every wish and command. Others have kind of made it out to be like, this means that, that uh, the wife has a, just a, a wet noodle for a backbone. Others have made it out like she's somehow inferior to him. And then in really bad situations, men have even twisted the word submit to mean that they can demand anything of their wives. Or that they can force their wives to yield through manipulation or physical strength. But listen, these are ungodly and ugly distortions of what God is getting at in this passage of Scripture here. To get what, what it really means, we almost have to use a different word because that word submit, it just has so much baggage with it, so much misconception with it. I think a better word would be the word amenable. It's a word you don't hear all the time, but it's, it's a word that comes from um, a French word meaning to lead. An amenable person is leadable as opposed to unleadable. So in other words, it, it's a lady who's willing to cooperate, work together, pull in the same direction as her husband. She's not always opposed and disagreeable. She respects that position that God's given her husband as the head of the home and here's the key part. As a result, she responds to her husband's lead. She's amenable. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb this morning and speak for the ladies. It's a limb because I'm not a lady. But I'm going to go out on a limb and speak for the ladies this morning. I've heard enough ladies talking about their marriage to be able to safely say that most ladies want their husbands to be the spiritual leader in their home. Most ladies want to be led by him. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a wife sigh in disappointment as, as, as she says something on the lines of, I just wish he'd be the spiritual leader of, of our home. I just wish that he'd step up to the plate. I just wish that he'd take the lead. And they're disappointed because he's just passive. He's just, he's just following. He just, he's not stepping up and, and, and being that leader in, in, the, in his home. Maybe he's got no idea how to do it. Maybe he just doesn't want to do it. Who knows? But men, your wife wants to be led. She doesn't want to be ordered around and bossed around. She doesn't want to be, to be walked all over, treated like she's less than you. She wants to be led, and she wants to be led by a certain kind of husband. She wants to be led by a husband that loves her like Jesus does and who's absolutely crazy bonkers about her. 
She wants to be led by that kind of a man. And this is part of God's plan and design. It's why as soon as Scripture talks about husbands being the head of the home and wives submitting to their husbands, immediately after that, Scripture goes to this line, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Context is everything. Submit to one another. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This last week, I asked Becky, I said, Becky, what do you think when you hear that phrase, wives, submit to your husbands? And she said, my back goes up right away. And is it any wonder why when her husband takes her down long sandy beaches and she's trying to say, let's not, a bad idea. I'm nine months pregnant. Don't get stuck out here in the bush. And it just happens anyways. Is it any wonder? Now, a little bit of my backstory. My dad was kind of a, he was a kinder, gentler Archie Bunker. He kind of had that whole mentality growing up. And so when that's all you see, growing up as a kid, that's, you just think that that's how marriage works. And so when we first got married, I kind of went into marriage with this kind of mentality, and I, I'll never forget the first time that I, I'm sitting on the couch <laughs> watching TV. can't remember what I was watching, but I'm sitting there, and I asked Becky in kind of a demanding tone if she would get me something to eat, and she gave me the look. It was something kind of like this. Eyebrows up. Her neck started to do this thing, and she said, excuse me? Did you just say that? And just like that, I was marching off to the doghouse, and it was weeks before I got any loving from her. I mean, it was just not a good thing at all. <laughs> but then I asked Becky, I asked her this last week, I said, okay, what do you think, though, when you hear the phrase, submit to Jesus? And she said, I'm okay with that. I've got no problem with that. And then here's the kicker. She said, because I understand his heart. I get his heart. She knows that Jesus stepped off his throne in heaven, came to this earth, and fought the forces of hell in order to win her heart. She knows that Jesus loves her so much that he was willing to lay down his life for her. She's got no questions about the heart of Jesus towards her. And she goes, yeah, I'll gladly submit to, his, to, to Jesus. I'll gladly follow his lead. I'll gladly come under his umbrella. I get the heart of Jesus. Husbands, this is the kind of love that Jesus calls you to have for your bride. The same kind of love. It's not a love that abuses power and authority. It's a love that uses power and authority in order to serve. Jesus, he was trying to get this message through to his disciples over and over and over again. And one time he said to them, he said, whoever wants to be a leader has to become a servant. If you want to be a leader, you must be a servant. And then later on, just in case they didn't catch the point, just in case they were kind of confused, okay, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? Just in case they, they didn't get it, in order to help them understand exactly what he was talking about, he would do something that would forever flip upside down on his head the world's idea of what it means to be a leader. As they're all gathered there in the upper room, there's a table, and, and they're, they're getting ready to break bread together. And as the 12 disciples are all sitting there, Judas, who's going to betray him, Jesus gets up. He takes off his outer garment, 
he grabs a towel and he wraps it around his waist. Then he grabs a, a basin of, and, and puts a, gets a jug of water and pours the water in the basin. And then he goes around one by one and he begins to wash his disciples' dirty, stinky feet. A job that in first century, century Judaism was considered so beneath them that only non-Jewish servants were allowed to do it. But Jesus goes, nah-uh. This is how leadership works in my kingdom. It's not about power and authority to be served. It's about using power and authority to serve, to give your life, to surrender that, to lay it down on behalf of others. And Jesus is, is, is showing us what it looks like. And if I could just speak to the men for a second this morning, men, if we're to lead our homes, if we're to lead in the church, if we're to lead in our communities like Jesus did, it means that we, be, it, we become more interested in serving than being served. It means we become more about laying down our lives on behalf of others than having others lay down their lives for us. It means becoming the self-denying, loving protector and guardian of your home. It's being a husband who loves your bride and loves your family like Jesus does. And listen, there's a lot of paradoxes in the Bible. This might be the biggest one right here. A husband lovingly leading his wife while at the same time submitting to her, serving her. But it's with this kind of leadership in mind that Scripture says, wives, submit to your husbands. And I have yet to meet a lady. I've yet to meet a lady who not only wants to be married to a man like that, but who will also joyfully and gladly submit to his leadership if she has a man like that. I haven't met that lady yet. Now, if you're here this morning, by all means, come up to me and say, Rich, I'm that, I'm that lady. I don't. But I don't think that's how it works. No, even Hollywood understands that's not how it works. Titanic doesn't end with Jack laying on the raft as Rose goes drifting off down into the ocean. Jack surrenders his life for her. Cinderella doesn't go and, and pursue Prince Charming. Princess Fiona doesn't storm the castle and rescue Shrek. <laughs> it just would be wrong. They're tapping into something here. It's God's, it's God's design. And to all the dudes in the room going, man, Rich, that sounds noble, that sounds romantic, that sounds chivalrous, spiritual leader of the house, the home, but how exactly does that translate in my life, in my home this week? And I want to tell all the guys in the room, married or not, something that will be, make this well worth the price of admission for you this morning, okay? You ready? When she says she wants you to be the spiritual leader, the head of your home, what she's really saying on a very practical level is that she wants you to be the initiator. She wants you to initiate. Or you could even break it down a little bit further and, and, and what she's really after is she wants you to be the one who says, let's, you fill in the blank. Let's pray together about that new job, dear, that you're about to start. Dear, why don't, hey, let's, let's before we turn off the lights tonight, Let's just crack open our Bibles and, and read a little bit. Let's 
let's go to church together. Rather than her being the one who always has to make that happen, she wants you to be the initiator. She, she's not thinking that you've got to know your Bible inside and out way more than maybe even she does. She just wants you to initiate. Let's, let's have a conversation about some of these ruts that Rich was talking about this morning. Let's visit your mom and dad this weekend. Remember, it's about laying down your lives, okay? Laying down your lives. Surrender. Let's, let's talk about the kids. Let's discuss finances. Hey, let me take the kids for you tonight, and you go hang out with all your friends and have a good time. The husband initiates. He's the initiator. And, and, and that's what she's after. Be the initiator. Well, Rich, all this seems a little risky. What if she doesn't want to? What, what if she thinks my ideas are stupid? What if I kind of put my heart out there and try to initiate and, and, and she just ridicules me? Then what? Or maybe you're, you're a wife this morning. You're going, I don't think I could ever have a conversation with my husband about some of these ruts that I feel like we're in. I just, I don't think I could ever do that. It's, my heart's out there. It's just way too vulnerable of a place. Or maybe you're looking around at your marriage and this morning you're going, yeah, we're in some ruts, but... It feels a lot safer inside this rut. I think I'd rather just stay inside this rut because I, at least I know what the rut looks like. It is way better to be out of the rut than to be in the rut. Out of the rut is life, is freedom. You don't even know what's waiting for you outside of the rut. But to get out of the rut, you have to stop settling for a play it safe relationship and instead be a spouse who loves courageously. You will not get out of the rut if you have a play-it-safe relationship. You just won't. Jesus did not play it safe when it came to the way that he loved us. He loved us so extravagantly. He loved us in such a way that was so courageous. He faced ridicule. He faced betrayal. That's the kind of love. That's the kind of, kind of courageous love that Jesus had, the kind of love that he has for us. And, and, and to have the conversation will take courage. You're putting yourself out there in a vulnerable place. To submit to one another will take courage. Guys, to initiate will take courage. If you've been stuck in a rut of not initiating, not having these conversations, maybe the idea of you suggesting, hey, let's read our Bible or pray, you've just never done that before. You're going, I don't know if I want to do that. Listen, the first few times that you do that, she's definitely going to look at you and go, okay, what's, what's going on here? This is a little bit different. Swallow your pride. Be courageous and push through. Because even if she's saying, man, I don't know about this, remember, she wants to have someone lead. Be a leader. It's going to take courage. Stop settling for play it safe, play it safe relationship. Marriage is not easy. Marriage is hard work. And if you're in a rut, it's even harder to get out of that. I've been stuck in so many ruts in my vehicle. I know beyond a shadow of doubt getting out of a rut is hard work. It's a lot of hard work. But the good news for us this morning is that you don't have to try to get unstuck alone. You've got a God, a Savior, a God of miracles who wants to come alongside of you, be your help, be your strength, be your, be, be your love, put it in your heart, give you courage. He wants to do that. And getting unstuck will mean that you invite Jesus to transform a self-centered heart, or we could say a self-focused heart, into a loving, other-centered heart. A heart that's not bent on having your own way, a heart that's focused on your spouse, that loves them like Jesus, 
that gives and that serves. It's about laying down your life for one another. That whole passage in Ephesians 5 that we've been hanging out on this morning, the very first verse just kind of captures what this is all about. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in the way of love just like Jesus does. And you'll find that God will begin to breathe life into your marriage. You'll find that he'll begin to strengthen your marriage. You'll find that if you're in ruts, you'll find that as you do that, that he'll, he'll help pull you out. Walk in the way of love just like Jesus does for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, Lord, I'm thankful for this, this passage of Scripture this morning. Lord, it's a, it's a very touchy, misunderstood passage of Scripture that or I think in a lot of ways has become almost despised in, in our day and age. But Lord, your word is good. Your word is life-giving. Your, your word is, 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 is it's, it's there for us. It's not there to, to bring us down. But Lord, you're, you're just interested in us knowing joy. You're interested in us knowing life and abundant life. And Lord, you want marriages in this room today to just be full of life. And so, Lord, if there are situations that where it's just gotten out of alignment or it's just been, everything's just been misconstrued, Lord, I pray that you would bring healing. Lord, I pray for, for the, the men in the room today. God, I pray, Jesus, that you would, Lord, give them the courage to, to, to be the leader in their home, to be that guy that just, that just isn't just passive, isn't the guy that just kind of hides behind work, hides behind the Xbox or hides behind his football, but Lord, I pray that you give the guys in the room the courage, Lord, to step out and lead, to step out and take initiative, to, to be the leaders of their home, the loving servant leaders of their home. Lord, help the guys in the room to do that. Lord, I pray for godly men, Lord, just to, to rise up in this church, godly examples of what it looks like to be the spiritual leaders in our homes. God, we desperately need that. We desperately need that. Lord, I pray for, for any of the ladies in the room this morning. God, I know there are ladies in this room today who, who hear this passage and they hear words like submit to your husbands and they just absolutely recoil at those words because all they've ever known is a, is a guy or a husband who's just been, just been steamrolling over them. He's just abused his position in the home to, to mistreat her to disrespect her. She's lost her dignity because of how she's been treated by her husband. And Lord, I pray, God, that if there's any ladies in this room this morning who are just, who are in a spot of just being broken because of what they've experienced from, from a husband who didn't love like you love your church, Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that, God, your voice would come through loud and clear this morning, that, Jesus, they would see that, that, that Lord, you love them so much that you you, you were willing to fight the powers of hell in order to win their heart. That, God, you were willing to endure shame. God, you were willing to endure the cross. God, you were willing to lay down your life for them because you love them like crazy. Jesus, may they hear your heart this morning loud and clear. And, God, I pray that you come in and do a healing work.
And Jesus, I pray for all of us that, Jesus, we would be a people that, that gets servanthood. God, that we'd be a, a people that gets what it looks like to lead like you do. God, not just in a marriage setting or church setting, but God, as, as different ones here are out, out at work on the job, God, maybe there's supervisors here. Maybe there's uh, people who are in a, uh, just a position of authority. God, I pray that they begin to lead like you lead, Jesus. God, laying down their lives, serving, looking for opportunities to lift others up. Lord, help us to be like that. And Lord, may we be a church, Jesus, that loves like you. And God, we need your help because we cannot do that in our own strength. Help us, I pray, Jesus, to love one another. God, for husbands to love their wives, for wives to love their husbands like you love us, Jesus. I pray all this in your good, good name.